your business is earning millions, stop what you're doing and take a listen to what offer NetSuite by Oracle has just rolled out. At my last company, we used NetSuite to have much more visibility to our business in terms of what was working, what was not working, what was coming in, what was going out. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their finances, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and much more. And for the first time, NetSuite is allowing you to defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. There's no payment and no interest for six months. And you can take advantage of this special financing offer today. If you've been sizing NetSuite up to make the switch, then you know the deal is unprecedented. No interest, no payments. Take advantage of this special financing offer at netsuite.com scale netsuite.com slash scale to get the visibility and control you need to weather any storm. That is netsuite.com slash scale. Welcome back to the Uncharted Podcast. Hi, friends. This is Poya. I have a special guest, Adrian Perlo, joining us from San Francisco. How are you, Adrian? Doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. We'd like to kick it off with a quick business personal bio Sometimes we like to throw curveballs, asking people what they're, you know, what some interesting facts about them are. So give us a little bit of context of who Adrian is for the listeners. Yeah, sure. So uh, Canadian originally, uh, grew up on the West Coast, moved down to the U.S. in 2016 for law school, spent about a year and a half doing law stuff, came over to WeFunder and have been working here in different capacities for the last two and a half years or so, currently doing some product design, product development, uh, and working on the launch of the new Capitalize product, which I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah, we're excited to learn more. Uh, lawyer turned product developer. We don't we don't get that that often. So give us a little bit of a context of uh, the transition. And, and what I mean by that is, look, sometimes people during downturns, right? The economy slows down, there's turnover, Unfortunately, one part of your identity goes away, uh, which is your job and career, which we put a lot of value around. And people can, you know, start questioning themselves and reassessing. So talk to us a little bit about your transition, like what, you know, why you did it. And frankly, maybe like what helped you. And sometimes like if other people are going through it, what they can maybe learn from your story that, you know, they can incorporated to their transition as well. Yeah, I think it's maybe helpful to go back to sort of why I went to law school in the first place, which I think is a pretty common experience among lawyers, which is you didn't really have a good reason for going in the first place besides, you know, this seemed like a good career path. It was solid. Um, a lot of people don't know what they want to do in undergrad. And this is a really easy path, right? You don't need any particular skills. You can go in with a in my case, a psychology degree, philosophy degree, whatever you have, right? All you got to do is take the LSAT and write an essay, and then you're like set for life, or that's how, you know, it appears, right? I don't think a lot of law students or, you know, aspiring law students have actually done their research on what being a lawyer is, the day-to-day -day of it. So yeah, I get asked a lot, you know, would you recommend going to law school? There's a professor at NYU called Scott Galloway, prominent podcaster as well, who got asked this recently, and he basically said, uh, going to law school is a great experience, but being a lawyer is a terrible job. And like, honestly, I can't disagree with that take. Um, and I, I learned this pretty quickly, right? So, you know, I went to a good law school. I got a good job working with tech startups. That was exactly what I wanted to do. And within like six months of being in that job, got very, very cynical, 
around the whole industry. And, you know, we can kind of dive down that path if you want, but I think it's, um, it, it's good for a certain kind of person. And I think if you know what you're getting yourself into, it can be a really good career. You know, if your career dream is to be a litigator and you know, you know, you want to be in court, uh, you know, arguing important cases, then like, I'm not going to say don't go to law school, but for a lot of folks who are just going because they want to do something, you know, important that matters and, you know, you get paid a lot, you probably want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, and so I think for me, I realized it was not for me. Um, it was a little bit too rigid of a path. Um, you know, there's sort of a path at these law firms where you come in, your first year associate, first year associate does X, Y, and Z tasks. You don't stray outside of the mold. Second year associate does, you know, another set of tasks and so on and so forth. You slowly move up the ladder. You're basically doing the same thing, but with minor iterations on that thing. And you have to basically stick it out for 10 years uh, until you make partner. Uh, and then, you know, you're kind of the boss in charge. But there's a very defined path. There's not really much ability to stray from that path. Uh, and there's little to no innovation. I mean, the legal profession has not changed really in 10 years at least, um, which is one reason why I'm really excited about legal tech and kind of things in that area. Um, but yeah, that, you know, the reality today is that those are not being embedded. And so I was just looking for something different and exciting. Um, ultimately, I was pretty lucky that you know, I convinced the guys here at WeFunder to take a chance on me. Um, and so I moved over to WeFunder after like just a little over a year at a law firm, um, spent about the first six months here as general counsel, just kind of like cleaning up shop, um, was the first lawyer hired at the company here. So kind of getting everything uh, in order. And then I kind of started to look around and, and figure out what else, you know, could need to be done. And, you know, that's kind of the beauty of an early stage startup is like, there's a million and one tasks that need to be done and you can kind of uh, take on whatever looks fun or important or interesting. So let's, let's dig in there. That that's interesting. Cause even like for someone like me, right. Um, your story resonates in that maybe the gig you wanted to do is not, you know, and you transition out. Part of it is uh, going early sometimes, right. There's so much to do. You can kind of get a grasp of what you want to do you know, long-term, like try before, you know, you commit to it. Um, once you kind of knew what you wanted to transition into, talk to us a little bit about like how those conversations went. Again, like if someone's listening, they're going in the same path, like what you, what do you think you did that maybe other people can incorporate um, into their experience if they're, if they want to take a similar path of going from one department to the next, it could be from sales to product. It could be from marketing to sales. It could be anything, right? Talk to us a little, a bit about what your transition looked like and what helped? Yeah, so just to even take it a little bit earlier than I think where your question is going, the, the biggest thing that you need to even think about any of this stuff is like personal life flexibility. Um, and to me, that means don't take a lot of student loans, honestly. Like this is so fundamental, I think, to what the American education system is today, is taking a lot of loans. But I really think it hampers you in so many ways. If I had had a huge stack of loans, I probably would have never taken the pay cut to go to the startup in the first place. So to me, that's like either go to you know a school that you can get for cheap or go on scholarship or whatever. But so many of my colleagues came out with you know $300,000 in debt and you're basically just chained to your desk at that point. Um, so, but yeah, you know, 
being able to take that first step is obviously important, but then your question is more like, once you get in there, how do you think about moving around? Um, for me, it was kind of a, a slow process of building trust and iterating. So yeah, I'll just kind of talk about it in more concrete terms. So, you know, you start out as general counsel, I'm responsible for compliance, analyzing the laws that apply to us. Uh, and, you know, you do that for a while, you have to build some internal trust. Um, my first kind of opportunity to step beyond that mold was when we got a new set of European regulations. So we've always been a US centric company for the last 10, 11 years. Um, recently, the, uh, the EU just passed a set of laws that's quite similar to what we have in the US. And so we're looking at this thinking, you know, maybe this is our opportunity to expand beyond just the United States. Um, so, you know, as the lawyer, I'm like, okay, new set of regulations, I'll analyze this and, you know, see what's involved and what it would take for us to actually operate under this set of regulations. So started doing that, came back with a whole list of things. And I said, okay, in order to, you know, operate in the EU, here's what I think we would need to change about our platform. And then everyone was like, okay, cool. And I was like, so how about if I just start making these changes then? And they were like, okay, yeah, you can start doing that. So then, you know, started doing some of this stuff, hooking up some new vendors, um, getting law firms engaged in Europe. Then the next step was like, well, it seems like we're doing this. It's like, should we have a team? Yeah, okay, could I hire that team? Sure. So then I started doing hiring um, and then, you know, started doing product design in the sense of like, well, our product's going to need to be different to comply with these regulations. How about I you know, scope out what those changes should look like. Um, and so it was kind of just like this iterative process where I just say, you know, this is a new thing that I think should happen. Could I do that? And everyone else is like, well, I'm too busy to do it. Sure, go ahead. And then I do it. And then that kind of like builds a, a confidence and, and trust for the next one. Um, so that just kind of built over time. Um, I ended up spending about a year rolling out that European business um, it took a very long time to get authorized by the uh, regulatory authorities there, but we finally got that in December. So we have an operating European business now. We've got a team of six, I think, out there uh, doing their thing. And, you know, I've kind of turned my attention back to the U.S. But, um, yeah, I mean, for anybody thinking about that path, I think it's really just being really proactive, figuring out what valuable things would be for the business, and then just kind of asking permission to to start doing some of that stuff. And I think at an early stage company, that's super, super valued by people because there's always like a chronic shortage of resources. And so if you're willing to like put in the extra hours, you know, work the nights and weekends to do things that other people don't have time to do, I think you're you're going to likely be successful. hundred percent. So lot, lots to unpack there. Uh, we'll start with the initial things you said, which is uh, for anyone listening, I, I can sympathize with the student loan thing because- I went into politics thinking I want to do it, worked there for six months, hated it, right? And hmm. similar to you, transition out of it, fortunate enough that um, I got into a career that I like and I enjoy. But if you're young enough, you're listening to this, um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go to college. Just know that that's what you want to do. And if you're taking on that debt, make sure it's, you know, it's a, it's a long-term thing that you do want to do because other opposite end of it is the beauty of the US, right, is you can take on debt to pay for your education, which a lot of different parts of the world don't offer you. Um, with that said, once you get into a career you want, right, like if there's, especially the beauty of early stage startups, if if you see there's a need, just go own it, right? Put small points at the board. The more you get your confidence up, the more trust you build with the people 
uh, the task just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So your most recent, um, let's call it launch um, uh, objective ownership that you've taken on is this thing called Capitalize. So give us a little bit of context of what it is. Uh, from the outside, I was really excited once I heard about it. What's the vision? Give, give us a little bit of context of like how it started and, and where we're going. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Capitalize is something that kind of grew out of WeFunder. Um, sort of the, the founding idea is born out of the idea that raising capital really hasn't changed very much in the last, say, five to 10 years. Um, so if you take the use case of an early stage founder who is raising, say, like a friends and family round, let's say I'm raising $100,000 on a safe, pretty, pretty basic stuff, right? Uh, if I want to do that, I still have to, you know, get my safe contract, fill it in, manually send DocuSigns to the investors, send them wire instructions, they send me wires. I then have to go back and forth with them over email to make sure that it's all done, send reminders, check my bank account to see if the thing has arrived, uh, and then finally pull out the money. And that's for one person. And let's say I'm doing a friends and family round from 10 or 20 or 30 people. Like it's a huge pain in the ass, right? And none of this has really changed since YC came out with the safe, which you know in itself was like this huge innovation and then it's just kind of sat stagnant. Um, and so basically our thinking here was, what if we give you a mobile app that automates this entire thing uh, and basically just puts the whole process on autopilot? Um, kind of the thinking here is, you know, a, a good analog is uh, mobile banking, right? Maybe five years ago or 10 years ago, banking was this thing that everybody did on their desktop. It was seen as maybe too important to do on your cell phone or you're gonna mess it up. Um, and now I think like I saw a stat the other day, over 90% of people are doing their banking on their mobile phone. And yet this capital raising process, which is arguably a lot simpler than banking, is still being done on, on desktop. So, you know, the kind of first iteration of Capitalize is our attempt at making early stage fundraising as simple as using Venmo. That's kind of the, the founding idea. Um, so we have a product that is kind of in beta mode right now, which lets you get set up in about two, three minutes. Uh, allows you to take checks directly into your company, or you can route them through an SPV that will set up for you. So that's like a, a vehicle so that if you want to take checks from 20 or 30 people, you can wrap them up into a single line on your cap table as well. Um, so yeah, we're kind of focused right now on getting the first batch of users. Uh, we're focusing mainly on YC companies uh, from the winter 23 batch is kind of like our core initial cohort. Um, and getting some user feedback and then working on scaling that out to sort of a broader audience. Um, in the longer term, sort of the V2 of this product is to expand it to professional investors as well. Uh, so kind of take the learnings from this and help uh, first time fund managers and angels who are running their own syndicates to do that much more quickly and easily than they can now as well. Um, so yeah, we've got, we've got a plan in place. I think we can, uh, get new fund managers set up in about a day and, and kind of put their entire back office on autopilot um, is kind of the the idea here. But uh, yeah, that's a, a few months out from where we're at today. Brilliant, brilliant. To tie it all together, given you have this unique background of you know being in law, opening things in Europe, um, what advantage do you think the things that you don't do as much gave you in this current role, right? Um, like, do you think there was anything that, like, um, the like the last four or five years uh, that you've done that kind of gave you an advantage when it came to launching this product? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, 
some other folks have tried to do things in this space. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware of some of these names, like Party Round was a big one that was trying to do this mobile app uh, fundraising thing. Um, and then you've got other competitors like AngelList who are doing similar things as well. The problem that almost all of these companies have is that they come at it either from the legal side or from sort of the marketing side. So Party Round, you can think of as like a pure marketing play, right? They had some kind of product. I don't think very many people ever used it, uh, but everybody knew about it, right? And yeah, they also never found a business model around that. So that's kind of a pure marketing play that looked really nice, but didn't actually function under the hood. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, a lot of the other competitors are coming at it from like a pure legal angle. So you have startups that are started by three lawyers where they're like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, productize being a lawyer, um, which is all well and good, except that lawyers generally make terrible product designers. Um, no offense to lawyers, but <laughs> so the way that I'm trying to approach this is like WeFunder has this long history of serving founders, right? That's like the core of our DNA. We went through YC in 2013. And basically we've worked with like, I don't know, over 2000 founders of the last 10 years. And so we're trying to take that sort of founder driven approach of like, let's make this as easy and simple as possible for the founder as we can. Uh, but then I'm at least coming at it with some sort of a legal baseline as well. Um, I think it actually helps that I only have like a couple of years experience in law because the deeper you get into these things, the more you sort of overlook some of the sort of core, you know, assumptions. I guess maybe a better way to phrase that is that it gets harder to get back to first principles the deeper you are. You kind of tend to overlook a lot of things, um, especially as you get up into those more senior years. You just do things the way that they're traditionally done and you don't really question it too much. So that's like my hope is that we can kind of come at this, you know, with a little bit of both and, and try to get the best experience possible while still being solid on the fundamentals under the hood, having a real business model that actually works. Uh, so that we can actually build something that's lasting and not just, you know, a flash in the pan like party round. No, wonderful. Party round. No, no, no. Yeah. What, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's it, the, the reason this is interesting and to tie it all together, right? At that given moment, sometimes if you're listening to this, people are stuck. Uh, people, for whatever reason, don't like what they're doing. Like there is a better tomorrow, right? And you can make these transitions. You just got to go talk to people, interview them, ask them for the help, right? People pay it forward. And one day, hopefully you look back and you're like, hey, the thing that I was doing, it's actually helped me four or five years down the line. I see it time after time, but you can only kind of see that if you're looking forward and not backwards or vice versa. So anyway, the, the point of um, your story is it kind of tied into that sentiment nicely um, is, is, is essentially what I'm trying to say. One of the things we'd love to do before we say our goodbyes is we, we ask one question to wrap things up. And if you could go back to any time and I'll let you pick the time, what would the wiser, better looking Adrian, what, what's one you know, piece of advice you would give your younger self? Yeah, well, actually, I, I really like the point that you just made uh, you know, about there being better options always available to you. From what I've seen, and I guess in my own experience as well, like anybody who's just willing to start doing stuff, start hustling, is generally going to be able to get where they want to go. And so I think the advice I would have given myself at a younger age is like, stop thinking so much about what you might want to do someday in the future and just start trying stuff. Um, I think the whole process of, you know, growing up, going through college and deciding what you want to do now is very much like, hey, sit down and think in a bubble about what you might like to do someday. 
And when you're like 17 or 18, you have no idea. I mean, you don't even know what any of these jobs actually entail. What I think I would have done looking back is like try, you know, intern interning in a startup, try interning in a law firm, uh, you know, do co-ops, uh, start your own business, do a side hustle, just like do a bunch of stuff and see what actually resonates with you. Um, we hire a lot of our interns here from uh, Northeastern, which has this really good co-op program, which lets them actually do like six month co-ops three or four times over the course of their undergrad. I might have picked a college like that where I could actually try stuff. Um, not to be a, an advertisement for Northeastern, but I really think it's a good model. Uh, yeah, and then I guess like along those lines of starting the hustle early, like learn technical skills. I mean, I should have started coding when I was like 14, but uh, you know, there's always a day for that. Yeah, better better late than never, but have a bias for action, right? To wrap it up. So hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's I we hear that time after time, and uh, for anyone that's young enough, have that bias for action, right? Talk is cheap, whereas work is not. So yeah, Adrian, couldn't agree more. Um, this has exceeded, I think, most people's expectations. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for paying it forward. Before we say our goodbyes, um, for everybody, Adrian's LinkedIn and whatnot is going to be in the show notes. Reach out, connect with him. Um, and uh, until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you. If your business is earning millions, stop what you're doing and take a listen to what offer NetSuite by Oracle has just rolled out. At my last company, we used NetSuite to have much more visibility to our business in terms of what was working, what was not working, what was coming in, what was going out. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their finances, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and much more. And for the first time, NetSuite is allowing you to defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. There's no payment and no interest for six months. And you can take advantage of this special financing offer today. If you've been sizing NetSuite up to make the switch, then you know the deal is unprecedented. No interest, no payments. Take advantage of this special financing offer at netsuite.com scale. netsuite.com scale to get the visibility and control you need to weather any storm. That is netsuite.com slash scale.